This is an ABC podcast. So, Norman, where are you joining us from today? Not Sydney. Well, this is our first international coronacast. I'm sitting in a study out looking at the garden on a nice spring day in Washington. And the cherry blossoms are coming out. Oh, gorgeous. Full of COVID, but beautiful. <laughs> well, I hope you continue to dodge it. It would be pretty ironic if you caught it during our first overseas uh, coronacast. But let's do a show. There's a podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan, trying to stay away from COVID on Wednesday the 13th of April 2022. So Norman, you're in the States, so let's do an international flavour in today's coronacast, but let's not talk about America just yet. There's a country that's been really in the headlines uh, with coronavirus this last week, and it's the place where the virus seems to have come from. In China, especially in Shanghai, there's been a lot of outcry over continued lockdowns, even though we're in year three of this pandemic now. China's clinging to a zero COVID spread policy, and it's gone into lockdown in various parts of China. Shanghai is the one that's got the most publicity. You've seen the distressing videos of people really screaming out from their balconies. And you've heard stories of, it's all by report, you, you don't know how much of it is true or not, but certainly seems to be people really not getting enough food And it sounds very distressing indeed. You just don't know with China with the number of cases. And if you look through the various data sources, some sources say, well, it's 25 or 30,000 cases a day nationally. And then there's some reports that Shanghai itself is 25,000 cases a day, which would not be surprising. And you'd imagine it's actually more than that. I mean, we're getting those kind of numbers in a country of 25 million people. Um, So you just don't know. And they report high vaccination rates with people having had at least two doses of vaccine. So 88% is what they quote. But again, if that's true, why are they locking down? It's just the whole China thing is just very confusing. If they have been immunized, then they're likely to have been immunized with uh, one of the Chinese vaccines. And the Chinese vaccines, unfortunately, are not performing that well. They might give you 50% protection a little bit more than that against severe disease. So they're not ineffective, but they're not hugely effective and they will be waning. So maybe the Chinese authorities are worried that they've got um, a very vulnerable population who could get quite seriously ill, but these pictures are very distressing. Yeah, when I was reading those stories and looking at those pictures, the thought that popped into my mind was this question of how long you keep using a lockdown as your strategy or how long you keep pursuing COVID zero as a strategy, which maybe sounds a bit rich coming from Australia because we pursued it a lot longer than other parts of the world did. But when you have, we have, we have not just vaccination now, but we also have really effective treatments against COVID. If you catch it, we know more about how it's spread so we can mitigate against that more. Is the time for pursuit of COVID zero finished? I don't think you can say you can never go to not lockdown again. It depends what's around the corner. If you talk to people like Chris Murray at the uh, Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation in Seattle, who have been following this quite closely, he believes that the days of lockdown are over because there's sufficient immunity in the world population. We'll come to some of their data in a minute, but sufficient immunity in the world population through vaccination and natural infection that it's unlikely we're going to see really bad surges again. But that's dependent on the new variants that emerge. So if we get a new variant that's really different, 
maybe it's gone into an animal with combined genes with animal gene, animal virus genes with coronavirus comes back out again. We could be in a very nasty situation where the vaccines are not covering us and we really do have to go back to quite serious restrictions to control it until the vaccine manufacturers can produce a vaccine that works. It, w- it won't take them that long, but we might have to go into temporary lockdown just to control it if we've got a very virulent virus. Um, the chances of that, we just can't predict. What do you think will happen in China over the next couple of weeks? Watching China from the outside with... The fact that Western journalists are really restricted from reporting if they're still there at all, it's just very hard to know exactly what's going on. It may well be they've overestimated the proportion of the population that's vaccinated. It could be more like Hong Kong, where you've got very few people who are over 65 immunised and therefore uh, large numbers of deaths potentially. It's just so hard to to predict. And you know, for all you know, they're going into mass vaccination campaigns to try and get boosters into people. Um, it's just, I, I wouldn't be prepared to predict what's going to happen. Mm. Well, the place where you are able to just look out the window and see what's happening, Norman, is the States. What's happening there? It's a mixed picture in the United States. So some parts of the United States, they've had their surge of BA2 and that's settling down now. And some parts of the United States, the surge is still continuing and they've yet to go into the lull. It's been fairly short and sharp. And you've got some states like New Jersey, which are quite affluent states, actually, where you've got very high death rates because they're Republican voters and they haven't got immunised. Is it really as as X equals Y as that? It is. It's very political, very ideological. And you've got people dying in relatively large numbers in, you know, compared to, say, Australia, especially to vaccinated populations, just gives the lie to the fact that, that Omicron is a mild virus. If you're unvaccinated, it's not. So you've got states like that. So it's very patchy. Well, let's talk about Omicron because we've had a lot of questions coming from our audience and also I've had people asking me in my life going, why have the rules seem to be different now than they used to be? We hear that Omicron's a bit different to Delta and the other previous variants, but how? So can we just recap on what we know about Omicron, the variant? How long is the incubation period? What does it mean if you're getting a positive or a negative rat result? And, um, and what do we know about the way the symptoms present? What we do know about Omicron is that it's less severe than Delta, but it's not a mild virus. It's probably got the same level of severity as the original Wuhan virus. And you just look at parts of the world where they're not immunised and there are people dying in reasonable numbers uh, from Omicron. Uh, The incubation period, I'm not sure that that's still, that's really absolutely tied down. The incubation period seems to have got shorter as time goes on with the pandemic. And it's probably anywhere between something like 30 hours and two or three days incubation period before the symptoms appear. But remember, a lot of people get minor symptoms or no symptoms at all, yet are still infectious. And so how effective are the rapid antigen tests that we've got in detecting Omicron? The answer about rat testing is that they're about 80% accurate at detecting whether or not you're infected with the virus. But really what they're good at is detecting whether you're infectious, is contagious, because they tend to only come positive when you've got enough virus on board. And that's why people say, oh, my rat test was negative, 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 and then I got a PCR and that was positive. But it's likely you weren't that infectious before your rat test became positive. There is variation between tests. So 
you've just got to accept there's some limitation there and probably some brands of rat testing are better than others, but we don't know which is which. So we're still waiting for the Doherty Institute report with the Therapeutic Goods Administration to find out that independent testing of how the different rats compare. But Norman, let's say I have had COVID, for example, and I had a, a te- did a test. I was like, yep, I'm positive. I'm d- going to do my isolation. But in some states, you're allowed to exit isolation after seven days. And you don't actually have to have a negative test to be able to leave. So is it possible that I could still be infectious? Yes, you can be. And that's the difference between PCR and the and the, the rat test. PCRs can stay positive for quite some time because even though you don't have any active virus, you're still producing some genetic material from your body. Whereas with the rat test, it tends to show when you're infectious. And if you're positive, my understanding of the technology is that you are still infectious. And it can take a few days for the rat test to go negative, but it will go negative before the PCR in general. So I suppose the upshot of this is if you're leaving isolation, you're still testing positive, perhaps you've got symptoms, take precautions, even though it's not mandated for you. And then the other thing you said, Norman, about symptoms vary, and some people have very low levels of symptoms, really um, goes to another study that's recently come out about trying to calculate the number of people who've actually had COVID compared to the number of reported cases, because there's a massive gap between those two numbers. Yeah, I talked about Chris Murray earlier, his group uh, in Seattle have actually done this estimate looking at multiple sources of data, including excess deaths and so on. They've they've really tried to pin down as much data as possible. And what they conclude is that 3.39 billion people were infected between March 2020 and November 2021. And the official estimates for that period were 254 million. So a, a much larger group of people. And interestingly, in, in that 254 million, the official stats only had about 1% of cases coming from sub-Saharan Africa, whereas the Seattle group reckoned that it's actually 70% of the total cases in the world have actually come from sub-Saharan Africa when you look at the data properly. So there's been a lot more people infected. And the data also show that nearly 44% of the global population are estimated to be infected. So you can say, well, that leaves 60% who've not been infected, but many of those will have been vaccinated. So it's, you know, the vulnerability equation doesn't quite tally with this. Yeah, that's that's a crazy proportion of the global population with one virus, isn't it? It is. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast this week. And next week, we're taking a week off because of Easter. So we'll be back in your feed again on Wednesday, the 27th of April. See you then. 